as you often hear for me is sanity saver. You know, I, uh, I couldn't help but reflect about our town hall meeting. I know you heard something about that earlier. And uh, I talked to my, my friends who are in ministry and uh, one of them typically asks for prayer before they have a congregational meeting because sometimes those things can be a doozer. Um, people get bent out of shape over one thing or another and uh, the atmos- atmosphere can get very tense and uh, I don't know about you but I had fun at the congregational meeting at the town hall meeting it's it uh, was frankly um, uh, unusual, odd, that people were laughing again and again and again and again at the town hall meeting. It was a sign that, you know, we had the joy of the Ruach, the joy of the Spirit uh, at that meeting. And uh, I would say as much or even more to the point wasn't just the fact that we were laughing, but there was a sense of unity and an increased uh, urgency about the mission and the calling that God had given us and the fact that he's been opening doors and um, a desire on people's parts to get busy about the Father's business and to press on. Can you say amen to that? Those, uh, those kind of moments are sometimes hard to come by because it's um, not too difficult to get diverted and distracted from the mission that God gives you, the calling God gives you. Um, sometimes all it takes is discouragement, sustained discouragement over a period of time And what happens is that our commitment to the vision and calling goes out the window. Part of it, folks, is that perseverance is not something that comes naturally to us. Faithfulness is not something that is taught by our culture. However, for us at the Yeshuatzion and what we see in Scripture is that faithfulness is a family value for God's family. And so, we can understand why in the book of Haggai, Haggai, which by the way comes from the Hebrew word Chag. Remember, on the different holidays we say Chag Sameach. The thought is that he might have been born on one of those holidays. Anyways, um, What you clearly see in the book of Haggai is that there is a need for God's messenger to prod the people. And by the way, Haggai um, served together, ministered together during the same time of Zechariah. And they both were God's um, push. God used them to push the people to get busy with the work of of constructing God's house, his house. And we saw last uh, Shabbat 
where the Lord issues a command to them. He says, go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build a house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. And the people got it. And, uh, and they did. And they began to work. This was the sixth month of the second year of King Darius. And um, then at the beginning of this chapter, we see that um, the word of God comes through the prophet Haggai again to the people. And you want to say, okay, why did the Lord instruct Haggai to prod the people again to, to continue to work? Well, what jumps out at me is the basic sense that the people started with a bang and were excited. Actually, they were somewhat fearful of God and they were stirred by the Spirit. And um, they got working and then something happened. We don't see the exact details in, in Scripture here, but I think when we look, when we compare the two passages chapter 1 and chapter 2, these folks were not moneyed. I mean, there were some of them who were the upper crust, who lived in houses that were paneled. But um, remember that many of them were really struggling. If you remember earlier uh, in chapter 1, the Lord says to them, um, you have planted much, but you have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages, but only to put them in a purse with holes in it. You know, I think, I think most of us can relate to that every time health insurance jumps up 10% and IRS puts us in a uh, different category and so on and so forth. Um, Building God's house, can I have a bit more? Building God's house, folks, takes a sacrifice of time, energy, and money. And, um, and the people, and, but first of all, it doesn't just take the investment. It, first of all, requires a heart. And by the way, in Scripture, as you connect the dots in the Word of God with endeavors, work that people did of one kind or another, what you see in every single case was that they had to be driven by a heart that was passionate and, and was committed to doing the work of the kingdom of God. And what happens is that it's often easy to get discouraged for a variety of reasons. Um, one of course, is we tend to do a comparison. And uh, you see that very vividly uh, in Ezra chapter 3, the, the beginning when they lay the foundation. Let me just read to you a couple of statements. All the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple, wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. So it was hard to distinguish the sounds, 
And what you were having is, wah, yay, wah, yay, kind of back and forth, and it was difficult to tell what was what. And you have something similar here, where the Lord has to say to them in verses 1 and 2, um, those of you who were left who saw this house in its former glory, how does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? In other words, you've been, this has been a project that's been going on for 16 years. You were discouraged. You left it alone. And uh, now you got started and you were all enthusiastic. And then you lost heart. Why? Because you recognize the fact that it takes time, it takes effort, it takes commitment, it takes faithfulness, and you just didn't have it. This was particularly true of the older people who looked and saw the glory days and then looked at the situation the way it was and they wept. They couldn't handle it. And you know, reminiscing, thinking about the past can be a good thing if we use it as a faith promoter. In other words, we remind ourselves what God did in the past as a challenge to press on and expect God to do additional things and and even greater things. Um... This is something Paul has in mind when he says, Unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or even imagine. So when we look at the past and we look at, at things that God did in our life and other people's lives, we need to hold them up as first fruits and say, Lord, this is awesome. This is wonderful. This is a reminder of what you did in the past. And I'm going to trust you to continue to do your work and in even greater measure in the future. Can you say amen to that? We see all kinds of examples of that. For instance, we see David, uh, teenager David, as he talks to King Saul, he says, this is what God did in the past for me. He delivered me from the mouth of the lion, the mouth of the bear, and I am confident because of that now that he will deliver me from the Philistine, from Goliath. So reminiscing can be a wonderful thing as long as we use it as a faith promoter. This is what God did back here, and he is the same God. He hasn't, his arm isn't shortened. You know, he doesn't have muscular dystrophy. His arm isn't shortened that he cannot save. He, he still has the same power, the same ability to work. He may do things differently, but he has the power to do great things. And that's our expectation. You know, on the other hand, reminiscing can be deadly. When we look at at past circumstances and what God did in the past, and take somewhat of an Eeyore perspective, things will never get better. God will never do anything wonderful again. Which we laugh, but when you think about it, really isn't funny because it's basically unbelief. Not willing to trust God 
that he has the power and he has the, the means and he has the ability to continue to do good things in our life and through us. So when we do that, which is what these people were doing, we get discouraged. We get discouraged because of circumstances, external circumstances. We get discouraged because of opposition from the enemies. And in their case, it was the Samaritans and others. Uh, By the way, just as an aside, you may be interested to know that the Samaritans live where modern-day Palestinian authorities based. Just a thought. Um, the Palestinian, the I'm sorry, the Samaritans hindered them for 16 years. So external opposition. And by the way, if you are part of the Messianic Jewish community and if you feel drawn to be part of it, let me encourage you by saying that sustained and spiritual opposition is the norm. I'm not going to stand here and say, come join us and everything will be awesome and you will uh, have absolutely no difficulty. It's going to be a complete bed of roses. I would be lying. Speak to any one of our leaders in the Messianic Jewish community and they will confirm the same fact that sometimes, you know, you, you feel like you're going through a tunnel and you're looking for the light of the end of the tunnel and you're beginning to emerge from the tunnel only to come into another tunnel. And so what keeps us and holds us and strengthens us is not so much the expectation that we will go and end one tunnel, come completely in the clear, but that God will walk with us and he will strengthen us and he will do his good pleasure and good things in our life through those experiences in a tunnel can you say amen to that and at some point we get the fact that walking through the tunnel is actually a blessing you say this guy is sick no because the opposition drives us to God it drives us to seek the Lord more deeply and more fully as we go through times of difficulty and we get the fact that the Lord is there and able and willing to meet us and we get to know the Lord on deeper and deeper levels particularly we get to know the fact that he is what scripture calls Adonai Nisi the Lord our banner which means that he is the banner around which we rally And so part of the challenges as we deal with life, as we deal with circumstances, internal, external, we also deal with internal struggle of am I going to trust God? Or am I going to look at circumstances and say things are not going to change. In fact, things, things will get worse. And so what you see here with these folks is that a basic lack of faith And you know, it's easy to relate to them. um, Because sometimes facts on the ground are not encouraging. You know, last uh, Shabbat at the town hall meeting, I mentioned the fact that Yeshua Tzion is beginning its 24th year. And um, 
We'd love to have a building that's dedicated to the ministry that God has given us that hasn't yet happened. And by the way, just so that you know, our hosts at, here in, at Greenwood Community Church have been gracious all these years. In fact, the senior pastor refers to us and, and speaks about us being in partnership with them. So things are a challenge, and sometimes we have opposition, sometimes we have detractors, people who looked, who find fault, and Lord knows we have weaknesses. But we are choosing to park, not on our faults or our strengths, we're choosing to park in the Word of God. We're, cho- we're choosing to park on the fact that God has given us a call. And that's because it's his call, it will get done. He who has begun a good work will complete it. You say amen to that. We're looking forward to good and wonderful things with David Katz's coming on board. However, our trust It's not in David, it's in the Lord. So what we see is a picture of discouragement for the people of Judah who are surrounded by enemies who have experienced all kinds of difficulties and who have lost heart. And don't you love it that God doesn't kick them to the curb and say, I'm done with you, forget it. But rather, the Lord keeps coming back and again and again, this time through Haggai. By the way, Haggai only ministered four months. That's it. And he was basically a Johnny One Note. You read him, he doesn't talk about this, he doesn't talk about that. He talks about, do it, build God's house. And the perspective that he gives is simply this. First of all, A defeatist attitude is unacceptable. So he begins by saying, verse 4, Now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak. The high priest, be strong, all the people of the land, declares the Lord. You notice... That nobody is exempt. He doesn't say, Zerubbabel and Joshua, you guys are the big cheeses, so you guys are supposed to be strong. Yes and no. You guys are supposed to be strong, but so is everybody else. Everybody else. No one is exempt. God sees the nation not as a bunch of loose individuals, but as a unit. And by the way, that's how the Lord sees us, not a collection of of individuals, but as a body. You notice the fact that he, the command to be strong is repeated three times, always indicative of the fact that there is urgency. Chazak. Can you say chazak? That's, of course, the word, one of the words that we say at the conclusion of a book 
in the Torah reading, Chazak, Chazak, Venit Chazek. Let us be, be strong, be strong, and let us be strengthened. You probably are saying, well, how do you do it? Do you, do you go to the store and get strong pills and pop those in your mouth and, and sort of see a transformation like with, um, with the Hulk, you know, where he just expands, expands, and muscles all over the place? Um, doesn't work that way. Strength comes from God. And God will give us the necessary strength, not for our purposes, to do what we feel like doing, but he will give us the necessary strength to carry out his plan, his program. I read the statement that really grabbed me. He is strongest who has discovered the finite limitations of his own capacity in the light of the limitless resources of God through his spirit. Let me say that again. He who is strongest is the one who understands his limitations but doesn't park on his limitations but sees his limitations in the, in the light of the limitless resources of God. If you know Hebrew, you may have noticed the fact that one of the names for God appears here in Haggai again and again and again. Adonai Tzvaot, the Lord of hosts, also translated as, as the Lord Almighty, appears six times in, these, in these, this little portion. So why do you think that name is used again and again here? Well, simply is, if he's speaking to a people who feel defeated and discouraged, what do they need to, to know? Not that they are the ones who are tough and they need to, to buck up, but rather they need to know that their strength and other resources come from God. We see this in a, one of the key passages in the New Covenant in the New Testament. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Three power words that tell us a couple of things. One is our strength comes from God. We draw our strength from God. We come and we quetch and we pound on his door and say, Lord, strengthen me. I don't have what it takes. Please give me the power that I need in order to do your will. I don't have it. I need it because I want to do your will. I want to do your program, your strategy. But the other insight that jumped out at me here is that one of the words for strength translated as might, krateo, has the sense of the ability to persevere and overcome. You know, none of these power words convey the sense of Mr. Universe just flexing his biceps, but rather they're practical words always having to do with action. In this case, the ability to hang in there and be faithful 
and overcome the obstacles and accomplish all that God has called a person to do. Strength comes from God. So here you have a discouraged group of people and first order of business is to say, get the strength that you need from God. Part of the picture, of course, is recognizing our need to be focused on God, to be God-focused. And, and, and we live in a Meshuggah world. Did you notice that? <laughs> We're barraged, constantly barraged by sensory input of one kind or another. You know, I noticed that when I, I, lots of times, but even when I go to gas up my car, there's a little uh, a television video that, that runs all kinds of advertising while I'm pumping gas. Um, you know, I look out my window at, at the congregational office and the light rail zips by and it's complete with large, I mean large, advertising of one kind or another. So this is part of reality for us and, and so our ability to focus on God is very difficult. You know, it reminds me of a very graphic picture. Uh, we had a uh, lovable pit bull by the name of Jed. And um, whenever we would sit down and eat dinner, especially chicken, uh, this guy was um, unmovable. He would park there and look at the table, look at the, at, the, uh, at the chicken. You can snap your fingers, you can dance to one side, you can dance to the other side. Nothing would move him. He was focused on the chicken. And um, on some level, folks, we need to be like this, this little mutt. We need to be focused on the fact that, yes, there are problems, yes, there are difficulties, yes, there's opposition, yes, there are naysayers and detractors, yes, you lose heart, all of that. But God is in a picture. God is in a picture. Despite the fact that we are fickle, despite the fact that we are all over the map, in, in these chapters, God's presence is mentioned three times. One thirteen, Haggai gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. Did you catch that? I am with you. 2 verse 4, be strong, O Zerubbabel and the nation and so on, and work for I am with you, says Adonai Tzvaot. Then verse 5. This is what I covenant with you when, I, when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Didn't, the Holy Spirit didn't come in Pentecost, in Shavuot, for the first time. The Spirit of God who was mediating and expressing the presence of God was with Israel all that time. I'm with you. I've always been with you. And that's where we park. That's our beginning point, folks. That has to be the bedrock of the foundation of our house. It has to be the bedrock in everything that we do. It has to be the bedrock conviction 
in our life. You say amen to that. So because God is with us, all that is needed will flow from his presence with us. Beginning with what we are often obsessed, that is money. The Lord said, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. Do you get the fact that I have all the resources, God is saying? And yes, we talked at the town hall meeting about the fact that we're in deficit. But we've seen God erase deficits before. And we've seen God bring us through year after year in the black. And no, we don't stand and and pound the pulpit and say, God wants you to give $100 and we're going to lock the doors until everybody does that. Notice our approach to giving is relatively muted and understated. We describe it in terms of an act of worship. You either give your tithes as unto the Lord because you're part of his house here or offerings as you feel led as an expression of worship or you don't. And so that is based on the fact that we have a strong conviction that God has all the resources and that he will give us our needs. And because of that, we are taking a step of faith to bring David on board. And no, we've not lost our minds. We're not spendthrifts. Rather, we feel that the money that God gives us is not our money. It's his, and he gives it to us, not merely to manage, but to invest in the work of the kingdom. So, the Lord is speaking to the discouraged people and says, I've got things under control. I have all the money. I have all the resources. Because of that, I expect you to be strong. And oh, by the way, I'm getting ready to unroll my sleeves and do big things. This is what the Lord Almighty says in verse 6. In a little while, I will once again shake the heaven and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and the desire of all nations will come. Now, What on earth does that mean? And how do you apply it to our situation? Well, obviously some of that, uh, as Haggai is receiving the word of God, in a sense he's looking through a prophetic telescope where he sees events coming, but he doesn't know exactly when and and how they're going to fit. Obviously part of the picture is still in the future. The end time, where scripture speaks about God causing the earth, the sun to turn to darkness and the moon to blood. We're obviously not there. Although we've had all kinds of natural phenomena with earthquakes and tornadoes and so on. 
He talks about shaking all the nations and the desired of all nations coming. We're also obviously not there yet because the nations are being shaken, but they're certainly not coming to support what God has in mind for the nation of Israel. That will happen as well. And no, we don't believe that the nations, fellow believers who are not part of our community, need to come and um, dump all kinds of um, shkalim, all kinds of resources at our feet. Although some do. Some do. There are four congregations that have been supporting us in one form or another over the years. We've never asked for it. They feel led of God. We've endeavored to put our faith in God, not in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. So yes, we are in need of a building, but no, we're not looking for a zillionaire to come and, and, and uh, bring a pile of money. First of all, because we are convinced that what God is looking for with us is not a physical building, but a spiritual building. A building made of living stones that he is bringing together and fitting together. And sometimes the fitting process is not comfortable. You know, you have stones and sometimes they rub. But God is bringing together his building of living stones where he is going to hang out, where he is going to dwell. And that's our expectation that he will do that. We've been specifically looking and waiting on God to come and place his stamp of approval on us. I mean, we know he loves us. But, but to sanctify, to set apart, to set us apart for his purposes. Now, in, in Haggai's mind, all of this was going to take place in his lifetime. It, it didn't. But what I have to point out is that the house, God's house, the temple, was built within four years. Haggai is one of these people who preached and proclaimed the word of God and people actually listened. And the building was built. We don't exactly know what the Lord had in mind here about filling the house with glory and giving shalom other than to refer to the second temple when Yeshua was ministering and healing people. But that's our expectation, is, is for God to do full, fullness with us. To complete the work that he's called us to do. And yes, we do get discouraged. We wouldn't be human if we didn't. And when we get discouraged, the Lord draws our attention to him. And reminds us of the fact that he is very much with us. That he hasn't gone to Bermuda 
but rather that he is planning to roll up his sleeves and get to work in, in a way that is bigger than what we have seen. That's our expectation. Because his house in us will not get built unless he is at work. The book of Psalm tells us, unless the Lord build a house, they that labor, labor in vain. We're looking for God's work to unfold and to be completed. And we make the choice to turn to God and receive the strength that we need to persevere, to be faithful. We turn to God to receive the resources we need, not just financial, but manpower resources. We're expecting that God will do that, not for our sake, but for his sake. So I just, you know, as we're concluding this morning, I just want to encourage you If you've been part of us for a while, just want to challenge you that God has a plan for you here. He has a specific assignment as part of his building being coming together. And we want to be strong in him in the power of his might. Would you please stand? Avinu Malkenu, our Father and our King, we bless your name first and foremost that you are indeed with us, that you have been with us from the very beginning. Lord God, that, it, that our being in existence is due to your plans and purposes. And we thank you, Lord God, that you have plans for good and not for evil. And Lord God, we bless you and thank you that you have all the resources that we need, Lord. First of all, the heart of courage to persevere, to be faithful, to press on, to sacrifice when that's needed of our time and money and energy Lord we thank you Lord God that you're able to lead us and empower us by your spirit because we cannot do this on our own I pray Lord God for each one of us whom you have called to be part of our mishpacha of our congregational family Lord God I pray that today that you would speak to them clearly and distinctly and decisively, Lord God, that they would know what is your will and what is your purpose and your assignment for them, Lord. And that you'll give them, Lord God, the holy boldness by your spirit to say, yes, I will build. I will participate in the building of your house. I pray, Lord God, for each one of us who is discouraged today. 
Lord God, I pray that you would reveal yourself as Adonai Yir Ed, the Lord who will see to it. And that each one of us, Lord God, would, would have a firm and strong conviction that all that we need comes from you. We pray, Lord God, that you would receive much honor and glory, Lord God, as we've been hearing what you have had to say to us through your word. And Lord God, that your word, that your spirit would remind us of what your word is saying and that we would receive it by faith, Lord, and do it. We ask this in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen.